Welcome to Preparing for Divorce, a monthly podcast to support those considering, preparing for, or navigating through divorce. This podcast is sponsored by Mainline Family Law Center, a divorce mediation firm that takes a holistic, integrated approach to assisting clients in navigating divorce in a healthy way. I am Pamela Elaine, your host for these monthly support podcasts. To all the listeners, thank you for taking the time to join my guest and me. I acknowledge your commitment to being well-informed and delighted that you have chosen Mainline Family Law Center as a resource. For those of you who are new to our podcast, you are tuned into a conversation between my guest and me to bring you valuable information about a specific topic related to divorce. The topic of this podcast is the one thing holding you back. To keep you engaged in the conversation between my guest and me, as well as to add a bit of levity to what can be a heavy discussion at times, I divide the conversation into six different segments. Divorce is an emotional roller coaster. It's a ride most of us feel we have little to no control over, the jolts, swings, sways, and lunges that come and go. If you could get through divorce disconnecting from all the emotions some believe, then the process is easier. I'm not so sure about that after reading the book, The One Thing Holding You Back, by my guest, Raphael Kushner. Segment one, let's get to know Raphael. I'd like to introduce Raphael Kushner. Raphael is a leading voice in the world of emotional connection and present moment awareness. He has shared his unique approach to personal and professional development with millions of readers in O, The Oprah Magazine, BeliefNet, Spirituality and Health, Psychology Today, and The Huffington Post. He is the author of six books, lectures worldwide, and is a faculty member of the Esalen Institute and the Kirpalu Center for Yoga and Health. Wow. In addition, he coaches individuals and teams at Fortune 100 companies, governments, religious organizations, and leading nonprofits. Raphael's own heart was opened by an experience of profound grief. Welcome, Raphael. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Oh, well, I'm delighted you're with me. Raphael, please say hello to the listeners and tell us more about yourself, how you got into the work that you do, and what was your profound grief? Well, all of those things are actually kind of connected. Um, um, my profound grief came uh, at the beginning of the end of a relationship, actually a marriage that I was in in the beginning of the 90s. And um, it came apart due to addiction and infidelity um, in ways that I had no ability to change or control. And it was really, um, it, it, with all the personal and spiritual growth that I've done, it, it set me back into a kind of pain that I had never experienced before and that I really didn't know um, what to do with. And as a result of some guidance from mentors um, and some diligence over a period of time, I was able to not only heal from that um, wound and trauma, 
but also um, was awakened, you could say, to a whole new way of living, and that's what led me um, into the work that I've been doing since the year 2000 and why we're here speaking today. Wow. Tell us a little bit more about the work that you do with clients. Sure. Well, you know, when I first started writing and teaching, it was all about how to be present. Um, And we all know, we've heard, you know, be here now. And um, we've heard that, you know, it's really important to celebrate the power of now. Um, And as I shared uh, that the first thing that I focused on was how to do that because I felt like um, we all knew it, but very few of us accomplished it. And I wanted to provide um, very clear and practical and simple ways for people to um, get and stay into the present moment. And as I did that, um, the work that I did evolved because what I found out is that the one thing that was keeping people from the present moment, the one thing that was keeping them stuck in their resistance was um, their emotions, and particularly Mm -hmm. the difficult and challenging emotions that they really either couldn't or didn't want to feel. So I shifted over time from being just focused on presence in general to helping people recognize and release their emotional resistance so then they could, in fact, succeed at living a more present life. So let's... let's, Let's move into segment two, get to the point, because I've got a ton of questions just from Mm -hmm. that introduction that you offered. The first is I want to go back a moment to your story of profound grief. Mm -hmm. Can you share what was holding you back? Was there a particular emotion that was holding you back from something, and from what was it holding you back? Well, so first of all, what holds us back Um, and where I got the title of the book, The One Thing Holding You Back From, isn't any particular emotion. It's our Mm. resistance to those emotions. Mm. Um, And we kind of inherit inherit our initial resistance to difficult or challenging emotions um, from evolution. Um, Because, in fact, our brains mistakenly try to protect us from difficult emotions because they think that they're life-threatening. And so um, we... You know, we come to find out more about that usually, and I guess I would say unfortunately, through deep pain or suffering. And prior to um, the experience that happened at the end of my marriage, I was resistant for sure to grief. Um, Mm. But through the process, I learned why and how to really open myself to the grief, to feel it so I could heal it, and that was what really made the transformation. It was through my um, over and over again being kind of rocked on the cliffs um, you know, of grief and still staying present through that process in a way I wasn't even planning or intending for. My heart opened in a really you know, beautiful and sacred and brand new way. All right. Now, the word grief is definitely a common emotion when one is going through divorce and when one is even beyond the technical aspect of divorce, meaning what I mean by that is the divorce decree. There's still a great deal of grief that one can feel. Some feel liberated. I get that. But there's a lot of grief that goes on. I'm curious... I'm curious how you made and how anyone can make the decision 
to stop resisting the feeling of grief and go into it? Like, how do you even know that that's what it is? I guess is kind of well, where first I'm of all, you might not it. you might not know it right away, but you, what you would know is that you're feeling shut down. You know, that mm. could be numb, that could be tense, that could be really bracing against life um, and your experiences. And when you recognize that as a call to awareness, as I uh, came to do, then you bring your attention to begin with right to the place where you're contracted. And when you bring your attention there, you're telling that evolutionary brain that I talked about before that you're going to do things a different way. And the part of your brain that was shutting you down is powerful. It goes all the way back to the reptilian aspect of ourselves. But it's not all powerful, and it knows that it's not the boss of everything. So that when you start to bring your attention to that place where it's locked you down, it opens. And once that place opens and you become connected to yourself, that's when you have access to what you're feeling. And all of the feelings that you have only arise in one place, and that is your physical body. That's the only place that you'll ever be able to notice um, and then connect with a feeling, and that's the only place that a feeling will ever ultimately let go of you as well. So once you are out of lockdown and you bring your attention to what you're feeling in your physical body and you surf that feeling, then it's through that process that you come to know more about the feeling and then ultimately that you are able to heal the wound that's causing it. So it's all about direct emotional connection where you take your attention and you place it on the sensations in your body. And when you do that for maybe just a minute or two, even with some of the most intense experiences, you get this beautiful benefit that I've been talking about. And although that may sound unbelievable at first to many people, what I would suggest is that most people think that they're in grief you know, during and after a divorce, but most of the time what they're calling grief is actually their push-pull or their resistance to it or their thinking about it or their wrestling with it as opposed to doing that kind of direct, attentive surfing that I was just describing. Okay, you used two words I'm going to ask you to flesh out for us. You used the word contracted and surf. Mm -hmm. Can you flesh that out? out for us so we understand what they mean? I can. Actually, it's a great question. So for people who are listening and you're not sure what the word contracted means, all you have to do is think of someone or something that really frustrates you. You know, maybe something that you have worked hard to shift in your life, but you haven't been able to. And just for a moment, let all of the difficulty and frustration and pain connected to this topic just fill you up. And then turn your attention to your body and notice what you feel. And what you feel in that moment is going to be one of your signature styles of contraction. So you feel closed, shut down, frustrated, um, disconnected also from the flow of life that's moving through you and from the flow of life all around you. So that's contracted. Mm -hmm. That's the first one. Um, the second one you asked me to describe again, tell me, I forgot surf. already. Surf. Surfing, okay. Mm -hmm. So when you are surfing in the ocean, actual waves, you know, there are two things that are moving together in a kind of exquisite union. There's the surfer on the board, and then there's the wave beneath. And to get a great ride, 
you have to be attuned and stay connected to the micro-movements of the water beneath the board. So there's all these little shifts and twists and turns that in a soft, relaxed way, you notice, allow, and let the board follow. And if you do that, you get a great ride all the way to shore. And I use the metaphor of surfing to describe what it's like to pay attention in your body to your physical and emotional sensations. And in that case, your attention is the surfer, and the wave is what you're experiencing in your body moment by moment. And the idea is just like a surfer in the ocean who never tries to change the wave um, or complain about the wave. The whole idea is that the more in sync you are with the wave, the better the ride. So when you place your attention on your inner sensation and you notice and allow, notice and allow, and let your sensations lead you while you stay attentive to them, that's what I mean by surfing. All right, so let me see if I get this. If I allow, one would allow, so, so let's just say that a, a husband going through divorce, every time he thinks about his, his wife, an ex-wife-to-be, he thinks about a particular conflict between them. Let's say the conflict is, you know, over the children, and I'm just going to mm-hmm. make up that she... Every time they talk about the kids and what's best for the kids, he gets really, really angry about it. And he feels that anger somewhere in his body. And you're inviting us to identify where in, in the body we feel that. So for him, he may feel some heat rising on the back of his neck, and it just moves forward to the front of his head. And that is a sensation in his body that occurs every time he has this conversation with his wife about what's the best interest for the kids. And if he's paying attention, he'll notice that that sensation, maybe it's warm or burning, moves from the back of his neck towards his forehead. Do I have part of that right? Yeah, all that's good so far. Okay. And then, and then, then the next thing is you're inviting him to actually kind of be with that sensation as, as uncomfortable as it is? Yes, and I'll tell yes. you why. Okay, um, tell us why. If you won't be with it, then a couple things happen. One of them is, is that it stays in your body hmm. and it intensifies. It becomes toxic to you and ultimately becomes a part of your unconscious and it creates patterns in your life that are the opposite of what you want to experience. The other thing that can happen is that if you don't allow yourself to be with that anger is that you will act it out unconsciously. You'll say things, you'll take actions that aren't in your highest good or the highest good of your family, divorced or otherwise. Um, And so most of what's happening um, in high-tension situations around divorce um, is that people are acting out their hurts and their sense of threat mm-hmm. and, their, and their anger and their jealousy instead of feeling them directly. When you feel those things directly, first of all, they change. They open, they release, and you're able to be more present and more peaceful. And from that place, you can make much better decisions about how to proceed in the way that's best for you and everyone else involved. So by feeling your anger directly, you're not... Um, backlogging it inside of yourself, and you're not acting it out. Now, 
anger is a little bit different from other emotions because it has a lot of aggressive energy to it. And sometimes you need not just to feel it in your body, but you might need, you know, to roll up the windows of your car on the freeway and yell it out. Mm. Um, not necessarily in words, but just even sounds like, ah, you know, helps discharge the anger. Mm-hmm. But also, anger most of the time is a secondary emotion, meaning that we're feeling it because it's easier, even though it's intense, it's easier to feel anger than it is the more vulnerable feelings underneath. And most anger arises either because we feel threatened or we feel hurt. And mm-hmm. so when you um, move your anger, by surfing it and maybe sounding it the way I just described, you're able to dissipate it and then get to the core emotions of, like I said, threat or hurt. And once you're able to surf those, then you're going to be fully present and really at your best. And you're also going to be working with what's really going on, not just pretending on the surface. Wow. Okay. So... Back to the husband who has this physical sensation in his body at the back of the neck towards the forehead. If he can just let that feeling dissipate, just let it dissipate, then he can have clarity about the decisions he needs to make. He might make different decisions. He may show up to mediation or his attorney's office or however you know it's going down with a lot less maybe anger or disagreeableness or contention, and that could make for a different experience for him. Yeah, yeah I think, I think uh, another word that might be helpful is that he might show up with less charge. Mm. And, and uh-huh. for everybody involved, charge leads to high conflict, and diminishing the charge doesn't mean that there aren't disagreements that have to be worked out, but the lower the charge, the easier it is to work through them. Mm, the lower the charge, the easier it is to work through them. Yep. That's good. All right. So in your book, that was, that was really helpful. Um, in your book, The One Thing Holding You Back, you state that emotions aren't ever entirely right or wrong, good or bad, reliable or fallible. Could you explain that for us? Sure. So... Uh, an emotion is a message from your mind delivered to your body as a physical sensation. And as such, it's a feedback for you to help you understand what's happening and how you can best respond to it. But our emotional uh, responses are conditioned by the environment that we grew up in as well as our inherited personality and all the things that have happened prior to this particular moment. So when you first start feeling your emotions directly, it's really difficult to tell whether the feedback that you're getting in the moment is really appropriate to what's happening or is aggravated or um, emphasized based on something that you're bringing to it from the past. Mm. So, you know, for example... Um, if, if you're a person who was, um, you know, yelled at a lot as a kid and you vowed never to yell at your kids um, in the same way, um, and let's say, you know, using your same example of someone going through divorce, you're hearing from your kids 
that the ex um, in this the ex spouse has been doing a lot of yelling. Mm. Well, the first thing that might happen is that you um, will contract to use that word we talked about before because mm-hmm. you don't like or you don't want that. And then if you tune in, you might find that you have a lot of anger about that and you have a fierce protection for your child. And all of that is coming from your own legacy and how you have been hurt by um, yelling in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just go off of that, it's, it's, so another way to talk about what you've asked me right now is to say that emotions are always real, but they're not always true. Mm. And what that okay, means wait a minute. That, that was good. That, say that one more time. Yeah, so emotions are always real, meaning that they're arising in your body. They're actually there, mm-hmm. but they're not always true as mm-hmm. an assessment of what's going on. So in this example that I just described, mm-hmm. you know, this, this person's already jumped to all kinds of conclusions and is ready you know, to go to the mat to protect his kid. Let's say it's a he because we've been <laughs> sticking with the guy here. Um, <laughs> but if he actually spoke to his ex and said, you know, our child said so-and-so, you know, what happened? She might give a completely different story than what he heard. Um, or it, it, it might turn out that... Um, what the child perceived wasn't at all what was meant, or maybe it was a one-off and there was a big apology that, that, got, that didn't get mentioned you know, mm-hmm. in the communication with the child. Um, or, and this is a, a bigger topic for another time, but sometimes kids try to draw their divorced parents together by creating tension and acrimony mm-hmm. because that's one way that the parents can still connect. So the child may be actually unconsciously manipulating the situation and none of that would come to the surface if the person who was angry just accepted the anger at face value without really trying to find out as much as possible about the actual present tense situation. It sounds like this takes some practice because if, and let's give it a woman's turn now. So if the woman has, uh, the mother, let's say, for example, um, if, if she's in the moment of feeling a lot of uh, you know, stress, let's just call it, over husband, you know, not disclosing income, for example, like that, if she's really pissed off and stressed out in the moment, it's unlikely, at least in my mind, it's unlikely that she's going to pause and contract and surf and so forth. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, the value of this, but how in the world in the moment when emotions are strong and fierce that you can just take a moment and let it pass and then understand where you are and how to communicate and how to be with yourself? Doesn't that take some, a great deal of practice? seems like one needs a Ph.D. in emotional control to be able to do that on the spot. Well, you know, I would say we can teach this to eight-year-olds. Um, mm. it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And mm. so as you yeah. described, it actually absolutely takes practice. But the more that you practice it, the more it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. And that's the best part of the current mindfulness movement is that it's focusing on awareness, being aware of your experience in real time. So um, we're not ever going to be perfect at this, and there are going to be times when we get tripped and triggered by what happens. But for me, just to give you a personal example, when I have a high degree of charge, 
I'm aware of it instantly because I've been doing this for many years. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm imperfect, but most of the time I choose for my sake and the people that I care about not to act or speak from that place of high charge or high resistance. Mm-hmm. And so one of the best things that you can do for yourself and the people around you is when you notice that, actually stop. And so one way to stop is that's not blaming or that's not going to add to the conflict is let's say you know you're starting to you know have a conversation that's you know going south and getting aggressive around hidden income you might just say you know what i'm just noticing that my heart is pounding right now and i'm really sweating and my hands are clammy so i know that means i just need to put the phone down and breathe for a minute Mm -hmm. um is you know we have time to do that um and if not you know let's come back together you know a, a later time so that's a generous gift to oneself and also to all the other people involved in the situation and 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 actually um, the, the key thing is um, to touch on something I mentioned earlier again, that when you're trying to move forward and solve a problem or win a fight or whatever it is from a place of resistance, you're always at your worst. And it's, it's never going to get you what you want. So recognizing that and seeing that you really actually do want to achieve you know, what you want in any given situation can be very high motivation to practice this enough so that you become very aware of charge quickly, and then you can make you know the best choice going forward. Yeah, and and again, resistance. Um, define that for us again. What you mean when yeah. you say? Yeah. So I'm glad I, I I'm glad to do that because I didn't really clarify. So we spoke about what a contraction is before, and I gave an exercise for listeners to notice what contraction feels like. Well, resistance just means prolonged contraction. It means. Mm-hmm. A, an as yet unreleased and unsurfed inner mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. So when we recognize what it feels like to be in contraction, we also realize that we may be in contraction for something that happened three minutes ago or three decades ago, mm-hmm. that we still haven't said yes to the experience, and so we're in resistance to it. So resistance is just after the first instinctive response of contraction, we stay there rather than getting through it. So that shows itself up when the, the wife is constantly talking about what her husband did or didn't do to anybody who will listen. Over and over and over again, talking about the same thing and feeling the same ex- as if the experience was still going on. So even after the fact, after maybe they've been divorced and they, she's still talking about what he didn't do or how he was unfaithful or how he did this with money as, and feeling those feelings as if they, they're still ongoing when they may not be. Is that an example yeah, of resistance? Yeah. Well, yes, in the, and especially in the sense that when you feel a feeling but you don't follow the wave all the way to the shore of that openness and connection and presence that I responded earlier with, Mm -hmm. you end up getting the worst of both worlds. You feel all of the upset by sharing and complaining about it with your friends and confidants, but then you actually end up feeding it. So you kind of go around in this vicious Mm -hmm. circle and you don't don't get free of it. One one saying that's really powerful and important to me in this work is uh, what you feel you can heal. And another way to say that is feeling is healing. So talking about it, yeah, talking about it isn't feeling it. And many people 
and especially um, uh, people who love to talk, uh, you know, about um, intimate and personal situations. And I don't want to make a grand stereotype, but generally women talk about their feelings more than men. Um, women sometimes think that they are really in touch with their emotions mm-hmm. um, and, and they don't know why they're not healing. And that's because they're talking about them rather than feeling them directly. This sounds like an answer. This sounds like this could really be an answer to some of our problems in marriages and, of course, divorce of addiction. That we're, is it possible that we are experiencing addictions because we're not allowing ourselves to feel so that we can heal? Well, you hit the nail on the head. I think that the best definition of addictions and compulsions as well is a continuing decision not to feel. Mm. And, and we can't just say no and have the feelings be blocked completely, even though we move into resistance you know, from that prolonged contraction that I described earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, enough feelings still get through that we bring in reinforcements to keep them at bay. And those reinforcements are the addictions and compulsions. So when we um, stop that uh, experience long enough and learn how to connect with the emotions directly, mm-hmm. then the pull of those habits or behaviors or substances is much less intense. We don't need them anymore because instead of saying no to those emotional experiences, now we're saying yes and we're experiencing a new kind of well-being as a result. Wow. Um, let me ask you about something else. That was really helpful. I, I love, I hope the listeners really got this. What you feel you can heal and talking isn't healing. And you're right. We love, especially women, we love to talk about what's going on for us. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're getting through what's going on for us over to the, to the shore. We're not surfing so that we can get to the shore. You said something else in your book that I thought was interesting. You, you, you said, the question I want to ask you is, what is, it, what is the information you say emotions contain that thoughts alone can't? You really made a contrast between thoughts and emotions. Right. Well, when you, a thought obviously provides information in the form of, you know, how I can understand this, what I should do about it. Um, and sometimes when we tell people that they need to get the message of their emotions, it seems like what we're saying is that the emotions have similar messages. But the message of an emotion is actually just the physical sensation of the feeling in the body. So what you need to feel in order to heal your grief is just that raw dark, seemingly endless pit in your belly. You need to go there and stay there and open to it and notice it and allow it and connect with it. That's the message that it needs you to recognize. The, rec- the, 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 the basic message there is, ow, ow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you, if you underestimate the degree of ow that you're experiencing um, or how much it you know, racks your whole being, then you won't be able to heal fully from the grief. And actually, in my own experience, when I first got a chance to tap in very directly in that way to the grief that was arising about the end of my marriage, 
um, I also noticed that suddenly it was as if the floodgates had been opened, and I started in that same time grieving all of the older as unyet grieved wounds of my life. And so on the one hand, it was very painful, but it was also incredibly liberating and satisfying or soulful in a way that's hard to describe if you haven't gone through it because keeping grief at bay just makes you brittle and hard and bitter. Mm -hmm. But opening to it actually softens you and brings you back to life. Wow. I, I'm, I have this image in my head as you're describing this of, the, of a woman going in labor, actually, and the contractions and the, the pain that comes in its waves as she's preparing to, to deliver, and that what she has to do is learn to breathe through it in order for the contractions, one, to, to, in order for her to manage the contractions, but ultimately to breathe through it. And then, you know, the prize at the end when she does, like, release this experience is, you know, a beautiful child. And, and, and you know, but, but if she were to resist <laughs> the contractions and resist what really needs to be birthed, she could be a mess forever. I mean, well, it could be an awful Yeah, you, you actually... You got it, which is the contraction, even though it's painful and even though we need to move through it, it's also a very vital and necessary yeah. part of yeah. life. And without contraction, you don't get rebirth. Yeah. That's, you said that quite well. Yeah. That's, that's like that, that has meaning to me. I mean, like I can get that now um, in a way that I, I guess while I was reading your book, I, which I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed, but I, I couldn't kind of I couldn't kind of connect. But now I get like that's so important to experience the contraction as vital to emotional well-being, health, happiness, joy, all these things that we so want that we medicate because uh, we 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 want it. You know, uh, this is the answer to go with it. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's now move to our third segment, which is one of my favorite segments, Raphael. It's going rogue. I will make three bold, unapologetic, yet slightly controversial statements to which you, Raphael, will respond with either I agree or mm, I disagree and then explain why. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Men were just not made for the whole emotions thing. I disagree. Ooh, okay. Why? Uh, men feel differently often than women. Um, it's not necessarily as visible or as overt, but the emotional mechanism that we've been talking about um, throughout our time together today ha has no basis in gender. It, it works mm. the same way for men as it does for women. Okay. Women already know this emotion stuff. If anything, they feel too much. Um, I think that, uh, well, I disagree. Um, and if I can just elaborate briefly, I think some of this goes back to the difference we spoke about earlier between talking about emotions and feeling them. But also, um, sometimes 
the external appearance of emotion is actually just the expression of resistance. So, for instance, you might find a, a person, and usually this is a woman, who, you know, as a kid was told, you know, stop crying. You cry the drop of a hat. You're too emotional. Mm-hmm. And those tears might actually be caused by the pain being met by resistance, trying to stuff the, stuff the feeling down, trying to, you know, the fight between those two things, and that comes out as tears. Sometimes when a person like that actually surfs their emotion directly, they're shocked to find that they're not crying at all, and it's a more peaceful process than what they're used to. Mm. Third, couples who admit the scare yet take the risk to connect with their deepest feelings may not get divorced. I agree. Huh. Why? Well, uh, I think that, well, there, there's a, a book from many years ago um, called You're Never Upset for the Reason You Think. Mm. And I, I believe that most fights in most marriages that go awry are happening on the surface and not addressing the wounds um, and the discord beneath. Mm. And so when couples take the journey to become vulnerable within themselves and then to share that with their partners, then they have an opportunity for a renewed kind of intimacy. Um, but many couples, unfortunately, don't get to have that opportunity. Mm. Well, once they read your book and implement your, your strategies, they might have a different experience, yes? <laughs> I hope. (laughs) Yeah. Let's move to segment four. Did you know? Raphael, you will offer three secrets, relevant relevant resources, or interesting bits of knowledge that most of the listeners don't know about. I'm going to ask you to begin each statement with, did you know, and then complete it. Are you ready to play? Sure. Okay. Okay. So the first one would be, um, did you know that there are ways to learn how to express your needs and feelings in a healthy way that promotes good relationships between married couples and also even between divorced couples. And one of those is something called the Imago Dialogue um, that was presented to the world by someone named Harville Hendricks in his first book, which is Mm -hmm. called Getting the Love You Want. Sure. It presents a way to talk about difficult things that's really revolutionary and relationship-saving. That's Imago Dialogue? That's the, pro- that's the process, and the yes. book is called Getting the Love You Want. Getting the Love You Want. Nice. What else you got? Okay. Did you know that there's another way to approach communication that we were never taught as kids but can change everything for us. And that's the process that's called nonviolent communication, mm-hmm. which you can look up online and find all kinds of things about. But it also can really revolutionize the way that you communicate. And since we didn't learn it in school, we all have to learn it remedially. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, so I got one more for you. One did more you for know, me. Did you know that all successful adult relationships are an ongoing loving negotiation. In other words, unconditional love may exist, but it's not something that we can rely on to actually have healthy relationships. Mm. 
It's not? All adult, no. All adult healthy relationships are conditional. What I mean is that if you learn how to talk about what you need, how to make requests, and how to respond to requests, then you honor yourself and the other person in relationship. And if you keep going in that loving negotiation and you can't find common ground that works for both of you, then that's a reason not to stay in relationship. So even if you love that person unconditionally, that doesn't mean that you should stay in relationship with them. And also, if you learn how to communicate without thinking that everything has to be okay because you love the other person, that you're in a way a kind of a victim to your love, then you have all kinds of new power that can happen in your life and in your relationship as well. Well, that was a biggie. I mean, we could have a whole podcast around just that last, did you know? Mm-hmm. That's big. <laughs> wow. Okay. Thank you for those, did you know? My goodness. Let's now head over to, we're almost done. My goodness, Raphael. This is segment five, the offer. What offer or resource or giveaway do you have for our listeners? Yeah, so um, we have been talking all um, this time today about emotional connection and how you do it um, with yourself and then also how you do it with others. And I have a free series of four roughly 10-minute videos that uh, your listeners can sign up for and watch online that really give a good foundation for what we're talking about. And mm. to go to go and sign up to watch them, all you need to have to do is go to the link, which is hiddenpoweremotions, that's plural, dot com slash video one. hiddenpoweremotions.com slash video one. And after that, if anybody who listens um, is confused or wants more information and they um, want to contact me directly, I'm happy to hear from them. They can reach me at rc, my initials, at kushner, C-U-S-H-N-I-R dot com. That's my private email. I'm the only one who will see what you write to me. Mm -hmm. And also, kushner.com, my website, has a ton more information that's also for free, um, that will help people deepen in their understanding of what we spoke about today. That's awesome. I'm going to head right over there when we're done and look at those videos for myself. This is great. Well, um, this is now time to wrap up our conversation. It's time to say goodbye. Do you have any final thoughts, points of clarification, any additional information for our listeners? And then, of course, again, please offer your contact information. Sure. So just starting again with the contact information, it's rc at kushner, C-U-S-H-N-I-R dot com. I'm always happy to hear from listeners. Um, and I think what I would share is that um, the resistance to emotion that makes the world go round is something that is actually the legacy, not just of ourselves and our parents, but even our generations, even our ancestors going way back. And when you decide to stop repressing and acting out your feelings and instead to access them and feel them directly, you are changing yourself, um, those around you, and you're also beginning anew. You're saying the old legacy of pain and repression 
is going to give way to something that is more about love and peace and respect and compassion. And so when you just do that simple thing of turning your attention to your body, noticing and allowing and surfing your sensations, you're healing not just you, but the whole world, really. Mm. Wow. And what impact that would have on our children and their children's children. We'd start a whole new legacy, huh? I think that's the greatest gift that you can give to your kids, actually. Yeah. Well, thank you, Raphael, for being my guest today. This has been such a rich conversation. I am so honored that you agreed to um, be my guest. I, I remember emailing you, letting you know that I was stalking you on Facebook and on Twitter and posting so much of your content on um, my pages because I just thought it was so revolutionary for myself and hopefully for others who read it. So I, I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being my guest today. You're so welcome, and I thank you so much for this really important work that you're doing. Yeah, you're welcome. Mainline Family Law Center can be reached via the website myhealthydivorce.com. Spend time on their website because it is full of useful information to help you. The website is beautifully designed and easy to navigate. I can be reached via my website, PamelaElaine.com. Send me a message and let me know what topics or other guests you would like for me to explore. And while you're there, let me know how we can improve these podcasts so that you can keep listening time after time. Please join me again for another insightful conversation to help you achieve a healthy divorce. Be sure to check out MyHealthyDivorce.com for all the details. Until then, remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters. Take care, everyone.